I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Latin Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Me here with Benji for La Flèche Wallonne Men and Women's Editions. A pretty simple race. They sometimes change up the local circuit. But as you know, it finishes on the murder we. 1,200 metres, 10.3%. It has like a 16% pinch in it. It's a nasty climb. And this year, or I can't remember if it had, they had it last year, there was the Cote de Charave, 1,400 metres, 8%, which was about 5Ks before the base of the murder we, the final one. And they do the murder we in the men's three times, in the women's it was done twice. We had Pagatra as the favourite in the betting markets in the men's race. Alphilippe second, we've got Woods here, Valverde has to be considered, Dylan Turns. Uh, yeah, so a decent list as well as Vlasov, who's looked pretty good punching this season. No Roglic as well, who came second last year. He and Alphilippe set a record time, but not much happened, to be honest, in the early proceedings. I think Zwift is to <laughs> – without Zwift, I wouldn't have even watched probably the First or the last 40 kilometers, I would watch last 10, but I was pedaling away, so I chucked it on anyway. But yeah, who was no one really threatening in the break at all, Benji? No, none at all. And I was hoping that the race would offer an opportunity with those multiple Mudahuis and those multiple Cote de Giraffes to have an attack by the likes of Remco Evenepoel because they've got both Evenepoel and Alaphilippe at the start here. So they can play both cards and therefore have a punchy type in Alaphilippe and an early attacker into Remco. But it didn't seem like that was going to happen. We went to the second last Cote de Giraffe with about 36-ish kilometers to go. And it was not that Emco that went, but a uh, rider from EF, Simon Carr. We've seen him quite a few times in history on this channel already when it comes to uh Giro last year Cortina D'Ampezzo I think the stage where he was pacing for Hugh Carfi at the uh starting point of the Paso Giro didn't last too long but he was part of the group that went into that climb now this time around he went for a bit of a solo attack towards the leftovers of the breakaway but that breakaway was not going to be a playing a big role in the rest of the stage anymore because by the time Simon Carr reaches them, he's having a conversation with them of, oh, I just I just caught up with you. I can't pull yet. And they've are, they are like, well, we've pulled the entire race. Obviously, we're not going to keep on going that much. And eventually, Carr leaves them behind and goes for a solo move. And we saw another move a bit later, right, by a DSM rider? Soren Cry Anderson went at some point. I don't know. It was like a longer version of Tratnik's move last year. He was, I think there were moves from other riders and Mary Van Sevenot was marking. Grant Thomas was pacing all day for Ineos. Pidcock had dropped. He and Jonas Wingergaard had dropped. Pidcock with loads left and Wingergaard, I think, before they even started the last lap. So though they were out, it appeared to be all for Danny Martinez. For Ineos, they've had Carapaz, their leader here before, and Kwiatkowski, uh, who won Amstel, was also likely a domestic. He was a domestic last year. But we saw Alaphilippe, yeah, just chilling in the bunch, eating no wind. Woods was eating a fair bit with his 46-centimeter bars. Uh, 
There was Bahrain also riding, and I was like, is it for Pools? He's won Liège before. They had Haig and Caruso, I think it was, on the front, who just won the Giro de Sicilia. Before we get into the finale, mention our show partner, Zwift. In case you haven't heard, Zwift are counting down the days to the Tour de France farm. Avec Zwift joined the hashtag New Rules Mission and ride 100 kilometers on Zwift between now and 15th of May, just under a month, to enter yourself into a grand prize of a VIP trip to watch the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift this year and ride on some of the most iconic rides in France. For more info and terms and conditions, as well as your free seven-day trial, head to Zwift.com through the link in the description down below. Marries with SKA. SKA is asking him to pull. He ref- uh, Mary refuses until they're about to be caught. They enter the motorway. They're caught pretty much at the base, and it's Movistar lining it out. Pacing for Valverde, obviously, he entered Murdoe in terrible position last year, not to be repeated this year, and he actually hopped up on a curb and scooted ahead of Peacock last year. Mast then takes over and pulls really hard, and we see Alaphilippe quite deep. There's the left-right-hand bend where I think Roglic moved forward and then he attacked out of it with 400 to go last year. Ridiculous performance, and Alaphilippe sort of waited on Valverde. They were all deep. And it was turns Valverde and Vlasov at the front. Bogacha trying to move up and not looking too good. Eventually, Dylan Turns just went to the front with 150 meters to go. Valverde in the wheel. Vlasov losing that wheel. Pogacar fourth with Alaphilippe behind him. Alaphilippe had seemed to set his whole murder we up, believing the hype, following Pogacar. Pogacar then loses Vlasov's wheel 200 meters to go. He Alaphilippe can't close that gap. Vlasov is gapped and is Bala against turns with Bala as it levels off, trying to come out of the wheel of turns and just can't. Sits back down with Dylan Turns winning La Flèche Wallon. Somewhat surprising fashion. Bahrain keep winning La Flèche Wallon. He, but he came eighth at Brabant's, tenth at Amstel, sixth at Flanders. They should have ridden for him at Valenciana. He came third in Flèche in 2017 behind uh, Valverde and Dan Martin. But, yeah, I didn't expect it, Benji, because he's usually good in cold and wet conditions. Well, I'd argue that, based on the things we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we should have expected it. I kind of feel bad about myself that I didn't expect it, because he was in the strongest group when it comes to Brabant's appeal. He punctured out of that group in the final. He's been strong the entire classic season so far in the last part of the races, and... I'd argue that we have his history as well when it comes to Flesh Wallon, where he had a good result on this finish before, I think, podium. So combining all that, we should have at least given him like uh, an outsider chance of winning this race. And especially knowing that we had question marks with every favorite at the start of this race. For example, within Alaphilippe, he had that crash in Brabant Sapel, but then again, he's also not that great in rainy conditions when it comes to Brabant Sapel. So that was like a question mark for him. Was his form good enough or not? Then Pogacar, he's never been, well, he's never showed anything like a Mudehui finish in his career that could say, oh, we're going to beat all the uh, biggest punchers on a parkour like this. Obviously, he's proven a lot of things in his career that he hadn't done before, but I still didn't have him as my personal favorite for this park where I was looking and hoping that Alaphilippe would have a, a better day than the rainy one he had at Brabant, but that wasn't to happen. But I also want to point out, I actually don't necessarily think that Alaphilippe thought, oh, I'm going to keep Pogacar's will the entire way up Mudehui, because when looking at where they start, 
Pogacar actually starts Muruhi behind Alaphilippe and starts moving up together with Guillaume Martin past Alaphilippe with about, what is it, 500, 600 meters to go. And that's when Alaphilippe starts kicking back and gets past, uh, it's probably Lafayette, not even Guillaume Martin, I'm not actually sure. It's a cough at his rider, okay. And Alaphilippe then gets past Ineos rider as well and then gets to the wheel of Pogacar. But it's not like he was stuck to his wheel. It was like, there's half a meter there, there's half a meter there. So I dare to say that his positioning was partially due to the fact that he just didn't have the legs to be at the front in the first place. Do you think I'm wrong with yeah, that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah, he probably wasn't hyper-focusing on uh, Pagacha. The time for the murder we was, I think, 10 seconds slower than last year, a mm-hmm. full 10 seconds. Ooh. And this is why I tweeted the other day and I got a lot of uh, feedback on this, that Pagacha <laughs> is the most overrated rider in the peloton. And that doesn't mean – that's not the same as saying he's a bad rider. They're not the same thing. He should probably be the favorite for the Tour de France as long as he's fine and healthy or whatever. But he was favorite for this race, ahead of Alaphilippe, ahead of Turns, ahead of Woods. And I'll, his best result was ninth on a much slower uh, time than last year. And I was like, I'm just saying, the reason I said that and tweeted is just because it wasn't a bit. It's because people sometimes lose their mind and just, forget basic maths that he's not good at every single thing and today we saw that he wasn't in 20 degrees warm conditions on this punchy circuit like he was 20 seconds slower than Roglic time last year 20 seconds on a 1400 1500 meter climb maybe less Uh, but here's the actual full top 10 turns winning ahead of Bala very important points for uh, Movistar Valverde taking 320 Vlasov third Alaphilippe fourth Danny Martinez fifth Woods on seven seconds, I was pretty surprised about. I thought he'd do better. He was he sixth, Guerrero, again, EF need those points. Seventh, Mollard, Bagui, Viermoj rounding up the top 10 with Pagacha 12th on like, I don't know, actually more than seven seconds. Other surprises were uh, Lafay, however you say it, I think would I thought would do better. But I guess this is different to punching against odd Christian Iking. Um, in an Arctic race stage, he lost 24 seconds to turns. And he or she, he was more than 24 on the road. He came 32nd. And I don't really think he was doing any domestique duties for Pagacha. So that is that is a world apart from his yeah. 2020 La Flesh Wallonne winning performance. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, he had a hip injury. I don't know. That's That's bad, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with that. And... I'd argue that there's a few riders that I expected more of. Like, for example, I said it at the start, I expected something from Evenepoel on this parkour, but it looked like he was at the front during the stage to control dangerous moves. And when it comes to Mudehui, he was ahead of Alaphilippe, very much near the front when they went into Mudehui, and then started looking back to figure out where Alaphilippe was and just was kind of dropping back because it was like, my work is done. And then he saw that Alaphilippe was pretty far and just, kept on dropping further. So uh, I've got no clue what uh, what I was expecting. I was expecting an early move, I guess, from Quick Step to try and kind of do a, a long-term reverse lead-out between multiple climbs with Remekwe Evenepoel, if that makes sense. But it's, uh, it's yeah, it's the first time in, what, seven years where the favorite does not win this race, La Flèche Wallon. I swear, every time Alaphilippe won, he was the he favorite or goal favorite. Year. 
He was not favorite last year? I don't think so. No, that's Ooh. why I was scared because his form seemed to be the same as last year and I underrated him so much last year for the big races and then he cleaned flesh. I think he was second favorite last year behind Roglic. Roglic obviously not here. Yeah, okay. He's nursing a knee injury. Uh, but I want to do another. <laughs> you know what else I said in that tweet, Benji? I said Turns is the most underrated. He is underrated, Dylan Turns. Like, I mean, he's a rider who's not really – he's not a GC contender. The TT mm-hmm. isn't there. What would you – I don't know. What do you see for him for the rest of the year? Is it stage hunting in the Tour just like last year? Does he go to the Giro? Um, I think stage hunting in the Tour. I think he's someone who could actually top 10 GC at uh, the Giro d'Italia. But, yeah, do you, I reckon he might win another Tour stage. Mendy from the break. Yeah, certainly a possibility. It depends on what his role in the team is going to be, which riders they have when it comes to GC, and whether he's going to have to work for Jack Hague's podium or not, because you declare today that Jack Hague will podium the Tour de France, and I will firmly, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll support that statement yet. I'll see it on the upcoming races. But uh, when it comes to turns, next to that, like, Hill Classics, LBL's coming up. He's looking one of the stronger riders in the last two weeks, and with this victory, is proving that once again that he's up there. Do you expect that Mudu is different than LBL, you know? Do you expect that Turns might be up there on Rochefoucauld at the end of LBL? It's a bit longer. It suits Agatha a bit more. It suits who's the favorite Wout uh, who's doing it. It suits him a lot more than Murdoe. Bahrain is just really strong. Caruso, Poles, Haig mm-hmm. is coming into it. And now Dylan Turns, they're missing Colbrelli, who in his 2021 form would have been unreal at, uh, yeah, the... Where's Tratnik? I just realized, Benji, was Tratnik here today for Bahrain? I don't think so. Again, another man for top 10, oh, to help out at Liège best on Liège. There may be Ineos and them, the strongest team. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. that was men's flesh for Uh, Honestly, not the most exciting race you'll ever see. Just watch the last kilometer. (laughs) Anything else from men's? Did we insult Kofferdis by not mention, mentioning their raid on Côte de Chirave at the end, or <laughs> oh, is that dude. not worth mentioning? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm out on meme attacks because that's what they want. They want it mentioned when yeah. they attack for no reason. Rochas <laughs> being launched on Chirave and then everyone died, and Simon Cars is a bit like that too. But yeah, Kofferdis tried something, but maybe they should have helped Lafay with positioning a bit more. Yeah, that was men's flesh. Um, good to see a different winner, a surprise result. The women's flesh will learn though. A much more intriguing race. As I said, only two laps of the murder weed. They have the Sharav, uh, the same place, 5Ks from the finish. We have SD Works here with a strong team. No Kopecky, uh, though. They obviously deemed it too hard, the finishing climb for her, uh, with Vollering, Mulman, Nee Fisher Black as probably their strongest riders. And I think Vulnerable Black is a domestique. We have FDJ with Chapman and Cavalli and Van Vleuten with Sierra. So Van Vleuten, I think, would have been the big favorite. There's no other Van der Breger who's won this race, had won this race like seven times in a row. Nivea Doma came second last year, uh, looking very strong, and now has reinforcements with Ruyakas and Shabby. So a lot of expectation, at least from me, on her to be getting a good result. But big break went Benji, and FDJ missed it, which kind of colored the entirety of the last hour of this race. Yeah, it was intriguing because I swear I saw online at first when it was still like 
50 kilometers or so to go that there was a breakaway of six riders and mostly Italian riders, not necessarily the riders that are dangerous for the peloton. And I run off to my turbo trainer, I jump on my turbo trainer, I launch uh, the GCN app on my phone and start looking at the footage and there's suddenly way more riders than six riders in that breakaway. So I don't know if all those riders teleported to the breakaway or whether they attack at a certain point. I'm going to guess the second part is the most likely thing, and those are actually dangerous riders, like Anna Shackley from SD Works, pretty solid climber, Amal Yusik and Shabby both for Canyon Sram, so a strong duo there. Leo Thomas for Trek Segafredo, Jelena Erik or Erich for uh, Movistar. Correct me when it comes to that pronunciation in the comment section, because I'd love to know how to pronounce it. Paper to come for DSM. Stratford Bex, she's showing better form than last year. She's really getting into it again in my eyes. Anushka Koster for Yumbo. We've got Double Hickok for uh, Tipco, EF Tipco, and uh, I think another writer in there as well that I can't remember the name of, but that was the group there, and it was intriguing. Like you mentioned, FDJ missed that train, and we saw that behind, and Honestly, the time gaps in this race on TV, I didn't know what to believe anymore because Brody Chapman was pacing in the front of the peloton for a very, very long time. Definitely the MVP of this group would have gotten come back. And then we noticed that the gap is going up from 1.30 to 2 minutes to 3 minutes, 3 minutes 20, 3 minutes 25. And then suddenly it shows back up at 1.30. So I'm guessing the GPS was very wrong at that moment in the race. And the gap kept going that, down from that point. Chapman brought it down to, I think, roughly... 55 seconds, and then Evita Muzic also started taking over for FDG. So uh, FDG had to do everything behind. And the intriguing part, the one thing I want to ask you about it is, we see that Jelena Edic from Movistar is in the breakaway. Movistar is not doing anything behind, obviously, because they got a rider up there. But when the gap closes down to 20 seconds, we see that that rider drops back from the breakaway, starts pacing in the peloton behind, helps out FDG because they switched their plan there. Do you think that's a good strategy or do you think that they should have let the last gap also be closed by Abdijay? I mean, I think the break was coming back anyway, so I don't really think they needed to do it because everyone was refusing to work with uh, Shabby and Amaliusik because they were probably two of the strongest mm-hmm. in that group apart from Shackley, but SD Works weren't going to bet at all on Shackley. So, yeah, I don't think it mattered either way. I wouldn't have done it because... It just the break was coming back anyway. I would have made FDJ fully close it, and they maybe didn't know what was about to happen on Sharav when the gap was about fifteen seconds. It looked like we didn't see because there was no moto. The gap was too small for there to be moto between the break, the remnants of it, uh, and the peloton. But Castelline and I think Yamba Visma rider had attacked. And we saw Vollering behind launching. So SD works like we're not going to go to the murder wee base without trying to attack Annemiek van Flirten. We're going to try and use our strength and numbers. We've had Shackley ahead. We have Vollering, Mormon, and uh, Nee Fisher Black behind. And so they attack with Vollering. Close down all the favorites there. Next attack, Mulman. Kind of like rolling attacks. And then Klaus uh, was closed down by van Vlerten herself. She had to do it. And Cavalli was actually right there on chasing Annemiek van Vluten, then Nee Fisher Black, who had been gaffed, she rolled an attack. But now we're getting close to the murder we, and van Vluten didn't respond to that Nee Fisher Black attack because Fisher Black, I think, had come back with Sierra. So this is one of the best examples of how good Sierra has been for uh, van Vluten. She was able to close down that move. And I think Castellan had gone with it. She was so strong today. Yeah. Had to pull a right at Lippert. Went with it too. She 
Livid is very is a bit over aggressive sometimes, and you look at how the other favourites were preparing for the murder we ascent. They were not chasing uh, a bait move from Neath Fisher Black, so that's brought back by Sierra Movistar line it out. Were you expecting AVV to basically do the Anavanda Breaker murder we style Benji, just try to max the three minute power effort and blow everyone off the wheel? I was expecting something similar like that. I was expecting a move by Van Vleuten like. The last two times she went up this climb with the favorites because she's always kind of there, but hasn't won this race before, but always close. And I was expecting just that steady tempo, like you mentioned, and that didn't really come, man. Niviadoma wasn't looking that good because she was left behind on the previous climb that eventually had to crawl back. Crawled back to that group at the foot of Mudawi, but couldn't get through anymore. And like... By the time you see the others starting to accelerate at the front, you know that Niviadoma is not going to be a the one that is going to uh, win this one, unfortunately, because I would have loved to see her win today. But when it comes to the other riders there, who eventually uh, took the uh, attack that led to the victory. Yeah, it was Cavalli just following slowly, not really overreacting to AVV's acceleration with 400 meters to go, reeled her back in, actually dropped Vollering at that point. It was very, very similar, this, to when Alaphilippe dropped Valverde when he chased Roglic on Murdoe last year, and she reels back in. Van Vleuten gets the wheel, seems entirely comfortable there with 250 metres to go. No, she's gap following, and all she's checking is that SD Works don't come back. Waits, waits, waits. AVV seems to be blowing up and then just sails past her with 75 metres to go. So I didn't expect it. I didn't know Cavalli had this level punch where she could just close down AVV and then sprint past her easily. But she won Amstel in a very different way to this. This was much more dominant. Wins La Flèche Wallon ahead of Annemiek van Vleuten, Vollering third, Mulman fourth, Mavi Garcia and Logan Borghini fifth and sixth. They paced it better. Lippet was seventh and she actually had tried to keep AVV's wheel and then lost a lot of time. Um she was 33 seconds back. Christabel Dubel Hickok of EF Education Tibco eighth. Uh, I can't remember if she was in the break or not. Yep. Break. She was, as well as Castellone ninth, Saint Esteban tenth for Bike Exchange. So FDJ keep winning. Uh, did they win a? They won a World Tour race last year, I think. One with uh, Cecilia Utrecht Ludwig, but Cavalli's Benji looks good for Liège. Yeah, I feel like uh, she's really stepping up. She's got a, a low-key kick in sprints. She's not necessarily as fast as Volring in a one-up sprint, I dare to say, but she can compete, I'd say. And knowing that she doesn't necessarily have a triple week as well, it's kind of weird because on one end, you'd say that's a valuable teammate that they are missing, a valuable co-leader on paper. But I've got a feeling that these last two races without Utrupludui might have freed Cavalli more than it really, uh, yeah, hindered her, per se. Because we've said it a few times before, in races before, they tend to not necessarily be the best co-leaders to work together to get one of them to a victory. They're kind of looking after their own result most of the time. And perhaps that's something that comes from the team saying, okay, we're counting on two horses here. But when it comes to uh, this specific 
yeah, result on this Mürich we finish. I don't think it would have mattered too much if Ludwig was in this race or not, depending on perhaps the attacks before the last climb. One would have tried to perhaps get away before the climb. I don't know. But I honestly, uh, I honestly see a lot when it comes to Cavalli. I think uh, she was my podium pick, I think, for the Tour de France fun, but I'm hearing more and more rumors that she's focusing on the Giro Rosa, but also has a, a confirmed yeah, presence at the Tour de France farm. So I hope that she can be great in either one of those, to be honest. And yeah, I hope that she gets a decent GC result there. I just I just feel like she's always like the second pick as leader for FDG. And I, I hope that changes now. I think that should probably change. But yeah, great team performance from them. They had to manage the break all day and they got it done. So uh, unreal from them. SD works just, there's not much you can do. If you don't have the legs on Murdoch, you don't have the legs. Otherwise, in cycling, had the Tour of the Alps this week. Bouchard won the first stage, Bilbao second. Second stage, Bilbao won in a sprint. It's like all descent finishes. They do like 30, yeah. 40 minute climbs and descent finishes. Again, Bardet just behind him second, and Kamner won again his strike rate and breakaways from a break today for stage three. In terms of GC, it's Bilbao leading by six bonus seconds ahead of Bardet. Volta, Benji's man third, who obviously be, you know, focusing on the Giro d'Italia as a Hungarian with the Hungarian Grande Partenza. But we have, it's a weird parkour, two stages to come. We have the first uphill finish tomorrow, but it's a stepped climb. And then the fifth stage is not uphill finish either. So probably some GC action tomorrow. Sivakov looks like the man for Ineos. And um, yeah, we've got Chavez and Carthy as cards to Bronsky. play. Oh yeah, Vadim Pronsky. <laughs> Better climber than Vlasov, facts. Over 30 minutes. He actually Vlasov is. just came third on Mirui, but of course it's not a 30-minute climb. <laughs> yeah. Vadim Fronsky over 30 minutes in the Giro, in cold conditions, when people aren't watching, is better than Vlasov on those climbs. Uh, obviously, Vlasov, better all-around rider. Uh, but otherwise, in U23 racing, there's Roman Gregoire, oh. who is just winning everything. Uh, I don't think these races are televised, but he won no. in the last four days, three days, Liège U23, Girardel Belvedere, and another race I don't know the name of. Uh, I don't know. Paulo Siotto. Okay. He beat Perstrand Hagenes. This is U23, not juniors, right, Benji? Yeah, correct. And he's a first year's uh, U23 rider, just came out of the uh, junior rankings. He was riding for Aja Desert Juniors team, if my mind serves me right, and then transferred to the uh, opposite place like it's like a derby between those two teams yeah he transfers to Gupama u23 instead the team that's winning literally everything in the u23 scene because they're godlike that u23 team like yumbo's u23 development team is good but when we look at the standard in u23 teams it's Gupama. like it's insane and their new zealand riders like Lawrence Piffy, for example, they've got Lenny Martinez, who is riding great as an 18-year-old in the actual Groupama team at the moment uh, for the first time in Tour of the Alps. And, like, it's such a strong team, I, I can't get over it. But the whole man, Gregoire, is, he's the real one. And he's people are pointing at Ayuso comparisons already because Ayuso was dominating similarly in the first two of his uh, Italian U23 races last year. The third one that Grigoire won, he had a bit of luck in the sense that his opponent had bad luck, where I think uh, in Edgar Pinzon, who was literally in the attack and had a bit of a gap uh, because he was in the earlier breakaway, 
He crashed in the final descent and eventually that led to Gregoire taking over that spot. Would he have caught him still if he didn't crash? I don't know because the footage is terrible of U23 races. I'm following the team social medias of Team Kolpak, Italian Conti team, U23 team. So it's it's a, a misery to follow, but it's really enjoyable to see which riders we can see at the top. And these are the ones we're going to see fighting in the Tudor Lavenir this year and so forth. So can't wait for that. Lenny Martinez, I don't see unless he grows a little bit. He's very small. Um, I think he looks <laughs> height like, shaming is real. <laughs> well, it's you can't do. I mean, maybe for other things, but GC, if you're 52 kilos, you're too small. You will just mm-hmm. get blown apart on the rollers um, and lose Echelons. so much energy before the climb. Yeah, so he'll need to grow a little bit or put on some weight, but still probably be a useful rider in the high mountains. But Gregoire looks like the one. He looks so so good. Uh, that's all from us. We'll have the Liège Baston Liège preview dropping tomorrow. I'm not sure if there's – we might have a Tour of the Alps roundup uh, either on Saturday or as part of the Liège recaps on Sunday. So don't hold us to that. We've taken a bit easy this week. And, uh, yeah, thanks to Zwift as always for supporting the show. And we'll see you later. Tomorrow, that is. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.